fuck pain, fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. From the multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Dows Podcast. Tonight, the good and the bad of our new technologies, a super explicit tale straight from the Bible, the insane task of trying to make it in Hollywood and dealing with the long no, clinch control, Jane Jetson's video phone mask, and it's time for Congress to get the same health care they arrange for the rest of us, not the lifetime senator level insurance we provide for them. And now... Asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle finger of the gods, Daniele Bolelli. As we invite you to lower the lights, batten down the hatches, and prepare to open your mind. For the Drunken Dows Podcast, begins now. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 107 of the Drunken Dows Podcast. Back once again on a bright, sunny-esque day. The rain is over out here in Southern California. Everything's green and lush. And we're all thinking about all the legal medicinal weed we'll be planting in our gardens very, very shortly. Green and lush for about three minutes. Because once oh, the sun kicks in, it's going to be... It's funny. I was in uh, Palm Springs, which is freaking desert and yeah. it was awesome but it's last awesome for about two weeks when the rain kicks in and then of course it turns back into a dried up desert right after but and we'll have lots of extra, extra vegetation of burn in october oh yeah definitely that's when the fires kick in the joys of life in southern california yeah it's nice now on um quick thank you to the trifecta of our loyal sponsors the sweetness that is datsusara on it and short design those guys are great. We mention them every time. So I'm going to go on a limb and suggest that you probably know what we're talking about. But if you haven't done so already, please do us the favor of checking out their websites. They are in the episode notes. Rather than me spinning for minutes on end about what they have and how cool it is, check it out for yourself. Because ultimately, that's the only thing that counts. You see for yourself with what they have there is stuff that can enrich your life or not and go for it. Um, I'm a big fan of all of them, otherwise we wouldn't have them. I'm, as usual, short design wearing shirts are like 85% of the time. Uh, on it products just arrive a box right now that I'm gonna consume in whatever is in there is gonna be good because I still have to run into on it things I don't like. And of course, that's Usara gear. I, last night I finished rolling in jiu-jitsu in a Datsusara hemp gi, carrying Datsusara bags. I mean, it looks like, yeah, I look mildly obsessed when I go around because I'm covered in Datsusara gear all the time. That's okay. You're pulling money out of your Datsusara wallet. Uh, exactly, which we just got. <laughs> and um, it was funny, by the way, when Savannah had her second fight in the locker room, the one of the guys in there, of course, it was Datsusara backpacks in there. Sure. And uh, I didn't even say anything. I just said, oh, it's a cool backpack. And the guy went on for five minutes about, oh, man, that's the best backpack I've ever had. I love it so much. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. This is great to see. Well, let's break some ground here because I'm having a thought. Do tell. We have... 
kind, kind folks who donate to the show. Yes, we do. They're hard-earned money. They hand over to help us help everybody else. But it's always been sort of a limited field, despite the fact that you read the names of each and every donor every week. So my thought was, we used to do that at the end of the show. I'm afraid a lot of people turn the show off when they think the commercials are going to roll again, and they may have missed out on it. So That's for a few is. weeks, I figured, let's put it up front and see if other folks noticed that other people actually do donate, and you don't need to be shy about it. We'd be happy to let you join them. Oh, indeed. So let's thank them by screwing up their names. Excellent. Let the pottering begin. We got Lisa Robles, Robert Primos. Thomas McNamara, Samuel McNichol, Matt Shebret, or something like that, sorry Matt, Ellie Kazik, Daniel Fischel, Chris Talent. Oh, this is actually a longer list because we got, we didn't do it for an episode, so that's a longer time span. Don't tell him that. Uh, oh, good God, I don't know how to pronounce this name. Help me out, Rich. All right, here we go. Uh, uh, that would be Lean Imbrecht. I like that. I've got to go the with very that. Very German Lean pronunciation. I have no idea. If we're, we're probably screwing up your name. Sorry. Well, Stephen. You do, it could be Imbredex, and I don't think you want it to be no, that. No, definitely not. Liam. Stephen McKee, Alexander Kuzner, Jonathan Waterloo, Maurizio Mezzatesta, and Darren McLaughlin. Oh, yay. That's a collection of folks that do it a lot, and we certainly appreciate it. Hey, quick update. Our kind listeners that donate to Kiva, we wrote $70,000 in loans. Jesus. And that's just an incredible number. It shows that you folks actually do listen. And the fact that you're spending money on other folks and not directly other than the good feeling, receiving something yourself, it says a lot for you guys out there, and it's almost 200 of you. So feel free to join us, Kiva.org. Look for the Drunken Taoist team and come on along and help somebody have a better day. Let's roll with the episode now. Hey guys, I just want to let you know that, that Bellelli and I were visited by Doc Puma and Mike, who do the Sick Call podcast, which is available on iTunes, or you can find it on the internet, sickcall.libsyn.com, and I may have been uh, overserved for this one, so it's a fun thing to listen to. Check it out. We had a great conversation with them. They're so kind of them to come down and record at Bellelli's uh, massive estate down here in uh, Southern California. And we had a good time with them. They're good cats. They take care of uh, veterans' issues is more their main call. They got crazy, amazing stories of their time in the military. And, uh, you know, I pull for our vets more than anything, being an Army brat. So it's great to have a chat with them. And check it out. Give them a listen. See what you see. If nothing else, it's a little extra dose of uh, Bellelli and I for you. So anyway, on to the show. Something. He comes to you with an impression of what he's discovered from what he's read. (laughs) 
Well, uh, your interesting uh, sexual innuendo with he comes with there's um, it's quite fitting for today's Bible tale. I was working on King Kong stuff, and they're like, "It's Kong! Kong is coming!" <laughs> Kong is and I couldn't coming. help get away from that. That's like the old joke. Like, what happens if an elephant comes through your window? You swim. <laughs> And it's funny, there's a friend of mine, uh, Leo Hirai, I used to train martial arts forever with him, and he regularly said like the most obvious sexual stuff without realizing that he's saying it. It just completely goes right over his head. Yeah. It's just so funny. And I don't even mean these that is actually mine. Like he goes into really complicated ones that are so obvious to everybody but him. Just doesn't see it, huh? I mean, I, Yeah, it's hilarious. But in any case, well, speaking of wild sexual stuff, here we got a different version of the Bible. Uh, today, let's roll up your sleeves and um, we'll start the we'll start the porn music right there. Wah, 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 wah. So, when I was eighteen, I got into the wild idea that I would read the entire Bible cover to cover. I wasn't gonna skip anything. I wasn't gonna skip. You know, when there are two pages of so and so, son of so and so, son of so and so, son of so and so, I was gonna read every single name. I wasn't gonna miss one comma, right? Did you fall asleep a lot? Yeah, I mean, the whole idea was like, you know, if we're going to talk about this stuff. Cover to cover. People, I want to know better than 99% of the people are going to tell me, the good book, you need to read the good book. I read the good book. Problem was, after a couple of weeks of this, and I got through hundreds of pages and my resolve was beginning to... I was like, oh, Jesus. I, I could be on a date right now. Yeah, this is heavy. This is this is killing me, really. It's like, it's just some parts were so unbelievably tedious. And so I was like, okay, this is getting real. I don't know that I can do it. And then the God who watches us over us all came to help me send in an angel that turned the next page. And suddenly as I was passing out and reading this you know, one nasty story after another of murder and rape and bloodshed to kill the unbelievers, all of that. And I think we got a couple of those over time in our Bible moments. So Absolutely. I think you got a taste for it gets to be too much sometime. Suddenly, the next chapter began. Alternatively called either the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs, uh, depending on the version that you're looking at. And... Whoa, that woke me up because that was a different kind of vibe. So for the next, this whole chapter, there was not, I don't even know if they mention God. They don't talk about religion, really. They don't talk about, it's nothing like anything else you have read before or after in the so Bible. So just out of the blue, no connection to any previous chapter or anything. It's just, this is its own. Pops right up and it's this tale. It's a super explicit erotic poem basically where it's just these two lovers and the, the the two lovers change sometimes they look like they are a married couple sometimes not so much sometimes it looks like it can even be sort of some illicit sexuality going on at least by the standards of uh, the old testament uh celebrating each other's bodies they just go off talking about their lover body and describing in every little detail, the hotness of the other person and what they want to do to each other. Yeah, yeah. And um, 
So no religion, really. Not or rather my religion, but not the one that they have bored us with, with hundreds of pages, just a ton of sex. Now, to make it even wilder, a lot of this is written from a woman's perspective. What? Which is basically nothing in the Old Testament, or the New for that matter, is written from a woman's perspective. There's very little. There are a couple of books where there are mine. This is one where you have this super sexual celebration of sex, most of it being seen through a woman's eyes. Clearly, there's a time machine involved in all this. Yeah, I, I was reading this. I was like, what just happened here? Because this does not fit with anything I've read so far or anything that comes after this. Well, it's clearly Marcus the Scribe. That's exactly my in theory. In yeah. somebody, he was probably reading a dirty letter. This has been, you know, been handed around the, 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 the con not the convent, the, uh, what the hell do you call it? Monastery. Monastery. Yep. And, uh, oh, the father's come along, so quick, slam it. And it, that's where it lodged. That's... So the next guy through thought, oh. Here's the new stuff that's supposed to be inserted in our new version as Let's, we make our copies. Yep. And he just wrote that shit right on down. That's exactly my feeling because uh, my precise theory yeah, was some scribe in the desert somewhere who just got drunk one night <laughs> after he was getting tired of copying hundreds and hundreds of pages. And of there's no stuff. women around anyway, so some real, got really real drunk. imagery going. And then uh, he he was reading for for during a break his uh, whatever century version of porn was popular in the area. Yeah. And while still inebriated, he started copying that within the canon of the Bible. Rather than that's all he knew. That's what. Yeah, and then he was like, "Oops!" And by that, everybody was reading it, and they were like, "Oh!" And he's like, "Okay, I don't think I can tell them that I was drunk and I was checking out my homemade porn." So, sure, yeah, that's the word of God. Yeah. This is where we're at. And by the time Father O'Malley stumbled on it, hubra, hubra, he's, this is the word, my children. Yeah, it's well. Let's read a couple of quotes because this is too good. And imagine right? them in Veggie Tale version. Oh yes, I just saw the right. the disturbing sausage party movie, and uh, don't it? show that to your children. Uh, just Seth Rogen and his pals for like their whole lives have dreamed of making a movie essentially about hot dogs next to the buns in the aisle waiting patiently for their moment to slip into one another. That There's a whole movie about that? Yeah, there's a whole movie about That's it. That's like a five-minute clip. Uh, well, there's some interesting notions of, you know, the uh, <laughs> there are various ingredients who know more about what's going on than you know. They don't know they're going to be eaten. Oh, I see, I they see. They think it's going to pass on to the great beyond. So. Gotcha. There is some, okay. not much to hang it all on, but yeah. yeah, that's a whole movie. Seven minutes, that's a good short. Well, the seven minutes might be the big porn shot at the end of all the food having their way with each other. Oh, so. that's hilarious. Clearly not for children. I can see how But I feel completely convinced that many, many children saw it anyway. Oh, I'm sure. That's, uh, oh, it's an animated movie. Let's go. Right, right here. Let's... Watch this in the backseat of the car while we ignore you. Glorious. Well, anyway, here we go with Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, whatever you <laughs> want to call it. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. In another one, we have He shall lie all night between my breasts. That was 113 from 2 3. I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. Let that sink in. Let's try that again. I sat down under his shadow in great delight, and this fruit was sweet to my taste. Mm, I can imagine quite a bit with that one. Yeah. Um, four or five. 
uh, Song of Solomon 4 or 5, um, proving that whoever wrote it was a boob man. Your two breasts are like two twin phones of a gazelle feeding among the lilies. That's some poetry right there. Your wow. two breasts are like two twin phones of a gazelle feeding among the lilies. Sounds like she had like some sort of uh, disorder. <laughs> or maybe, no, come on, don't ruin it for me. I'm picturing some glorious boobs here. It's... I can picture them. They seem like they're covered with fur. And that says to me, you know, some sort of thyroid <laughs> issue. Or... Uh, hey, there's a frankincense and myrrh mentioned in here. Uh, That's very biblical. You want to go with that? Yeah. Who is this that cometh? Ah. Out of the wilderness, like pillars of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense. So it seems to be all they had back then. Yeah. With all the powders of the merchant. Sweet. And speaking of myrrh, there's another one on 5.5 that says, I rose up to open to my beloved, and my hands drop with myrrh, Mm. and my fingers were sweet-smelling myrrh upon the handles of the lock. I mean, that's like Leo Irai right there, my friend, says shit that's like so obvious. Like, I rose up to open to my beloved. Somehow her hands are really wet with something that's sweet smelling. Something meresque. And then she grabs the handles of the lock. That's fascinating. We have uh, 4.16. Come blow upon my garden, that the spices thereof may flow out. Let my beloved come into his garden and eat his pleasant fruits. My goodness. Yeah. 5-4, my beloved put, uh, put his hand by the hole of the door, and my bowels were moved for him. Yeah, he's, he's, he's barking up the wrong tree with that. <laughs> Careful, friend. This is gutted. I mean, it's... Someone, someone open a window. It's hot in here. Yeah. I love this. This just woke me up, gave me a second wind. I managed to read all the rest of the Bible after this because I was like, <laughs> Hoping okay, for I another could, one. Totally. Hoping for another one. This is, to me, that's, I mean, by far the best part of the whole thing, in my personal opinion. It's, I dig it, man. This is the celebration of sex throughout the whole thing. A lot of it from the point of view of a woman's sexuality, which the only thing you're ever going to hear about a woman's sexuality in the whole pages of the Bible is bad, 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 don't do it. Yeah. Uh, rape, you will be stoned to that unless uh, it's for procreation under the right circumstances. The lost books of Helen the Miserable. So, yeah, it's all nasty, weird, disturbing shit. And then you come upon this, which is fucking awesome. You know, it's just beautiful, erotic poems. <laughs> and So when you make the, the Thomas Jefferson version of the Bible of your own, it's just going to be these few pages. Totally. This is the good stuff. Now, what... I really enjoy seeing both conservative Jews and Christian fundamentalists freaking out over this because how how do they spin it? You know, how can it not be removed by now? There was a lot of debate to remove it. I'm sure there was both within Christianity and Judaism. There was a lot of debate saying, eh, "I don't know about this stuff. We need to." And the only way they saved it and kept it in there was with the most ultimate bullshit artist argument that I've ever heard. That I think is pure genius the argument was oh no 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 you thinking that this is talking about sex yeah yeah no it's not talking about sex this is a metaphor and depending on who's telling you in one version is it's a metaphor of the love between jerusalem and the jewish people on one side and god on the other why is everybody so soggy right it's a metaphor of the love between the soul and yearning for god 
it's a metaphor of Jesus and the church. Oh. It's, it's all a metaphor. It's this union thing is about a spiritual merging of your... But to me, this is like watching just straight up Pornhub and just saying, you see that thing sliding in and out and going, that's a metaphor for a spiritual union. You Absolutely. Know, that's what we're Here's talking about. You know? This is Jesus alone. and that's the church and that's the meat. I was just like... That's digging deep right there. That's digging deep. I think there. the only reason it stayed in is the myrrh lo lobbyists were like, yeah, we got several myrrh mentions. Yeah. And we hear things are going to get tough in the future in the myrrh trade. So we'd appreciate you just leaving that alone. But this is, I don't know, this to be, the way it's spun, I find it absolutely hilarious. Interesting enough, there's a parallel in Hinduism. They built, way back in the day, they built these uh, temples like Ajurao, Karnak, some of those where the outside of the temple is covered in statues, getting it on in every possible conceivable position, orgies, multiple partners, you name it. Nice. And clearly the culture that produced that is very different from Hinduism today. That's much more prudish and much more strict about sexuality. And so a lot of modern Hindus have that thing where it's like, no, 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 no. This is telling you the statues are on the outside of the temple because it's telling you to leave your uh, earthly thoughts outside and then inside the temple, which is the worst marketing plan ever because everybody's got to sit it outside, check it out, the statue, and nobody wants to go in. Yeah. Welcome but, to the Temple of Disappointment. But, <laughs> but that's basically the idea, right? It's the same as these guys are saying, no, it's a metaphor. Those guys are also saying, yeah, yeah, this is something else. It's, it's not what you're seeing is... I find it hilarious and beautiful. So for a change, we got a Bible story that does not involve murder, does not involve rape, does not involve genocide, does not involve killing the unbelievers. It just involves... Cuddling and, and, and lovely secretions. What better than this can you ask for? This is the Bible I go by. Is this Old Testament? Yep. So does this make it into the Quran as well? No. They got um, their scissors out. Not that they do have... Uh, I mean, within Islam, there's some pretty openly sexual stuff. But no, this is just... No, this is strictly old stuff. So there are portions stuff. of the Old Testament that didn't make it across to everybody. Oh, no, I mean, the Quran does its own thing. You know, the Quran takes some of the story and they run with it and they often twist dramatically the biography of some of the people involved in the Old Testament saying that it's those guys who got it wrong. So... You know, the Quran is sort of loosely inspired by, but is its own thing. Whereas, you know, the Jewish scripture made it as part of the Christian Bible, and those things are one and the same. You yeah, know, yeah. they don't. But in any case. We're learning all sorts of stuff. Qurans, Torahs, Bibles. Yeah, for once, you got an awesome Bible story. <laughs> It's rant time, so they'll be ranting. Now, I have ranted plenty on the cell phones and how much they make me crazy. But somebody gave me a whole different point of view, as Johnny Cash would remind us. And, uh, and it's Skype. So we had a little Skype session going on here a minute ago, and it reminded me of this, that um, one kind of incredible thing that this 
interconnectedness gives us with these new machines and FaceTime and all this sort of things. My friend's got a two-year-old, and he's got grandparents that live in Russia and grandparents that live, you know, here in the States. And through that capacity, he knows his grandparents. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's a pretty incredible positive. Oh, totally, man. No, I do think I'm not. I don't think it's all like, oh, the new technologies are screwing us over kind of thing. I think there's, like anything, yes. change is never in one direction. For sure. You open a door, you close another. You create opportunities, you screw something else up. It's always a mixed bag. You just want to make sure you're steering it up enough and that the ugly doesn't overtake the good. Yeah. But no, of course, there are some awesome things about new technology. That's why it's funny to listen to this conversation between like Duncan and... Chris Ryan or something because there's like technology is awesome. No, it's the screwing us up. You know, you can't tend to get sometime the and I think both of those guys their position is more nuanced, but sometimes when you get into those debates it's easy to turn into the one side versus the other. Yeah. But uh, it's messy, it's complicated. Some stuff about new technologies are great. Some stuff is absolutely awful. Like it's both. It's, it is both. It's never I guess anytime or, you rip open the capacity for everybody to be communicating with each other directly, mm -hmm. there's going to be a lot of the nasty, terrible shit getting sure. handed around, both by choice and by not choice. Yep. As we learned from Connor Habib, some folks like that. Right. Everybody doesn't. But no, this whole, I mean, I would have loved to have been able to do that. I mean, my, totally. for, my paternal grandparents, I probably met them 11 times. Pretty much all of the new technologies that we think of as stuff that we probably all thought about as kids. Oh, yeah. Can you believe how cool it would be if we would have a phone where you can see the other person? And, you know, we all did. It's, it's just somebody now has figured out a way to make it happen. There were even people that went so far that, that on the Jetsons, Jane Jetson used to hate it when the video phone would ring because she'd have to get her face, fake face mask on with right. a made-up self because she'd be looking rough. Yeah, for the goddamn yeah, phone. Yeah. And I think so, that's coming up next. Oh, can't be. Well, I saw just a couple of days ago, if you have like a video feed, let's say, of W sitting mm -hmm. in a chair getting ready, if you have like 10 seconds of that available to you, you can now track your own face and go, I'm just a crazy person. I'm going to start another war. And that's what he's saying. Right. Of his, that's trippy. In, in real time. Yeah, I know. That's really trippy. So, that's... I mean, lies used to be expressed in words and, and maybe in, in radio feeds, but now you can actually have real people enacting the and of course we know what the first application of that would be will be porn, porn. of course oh, yeah. <laughs> it's speaking of cell phones um i think it's time to say goodbye i had this phone from i used to have a flip phone first and then everybody uh, had their razor days there's nothing to be ashamed yeah of. but my days were much more recent than most <laughs> and uh and then i got this first uh is this an iphone is that what it is I can't even tell. Yeah. It looks iPhone-esque, but it looks like it's been like I, 10 versions ago. Exactly. <laughs> it's uh, And by now it stopped ringing. So people call me and once in a while it rings and like five out of six, it doesn't. <laughs> I think that's your official call that it's time to change phone. And uh, and it's also the official call of the fact that I'm cheap and that that's how it is. But Well, I don't understand those kids. Uh, they, they got to have the latest one every time. No, fuck that. Hey, did you see the, the wacky Republican congressman that was saying uh, people just need to give up their iPhones? That's how they'll pay for their insurance. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Obviously, like, he doesn't know how much cancer treatment is. It's no. more than one iPhone. Yeah, of course. You just give up your iPhone and don't and go to Starbucks better. and suddenly you can afford uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars of medical procedures. If I'd known that, I'd do without. 
No, I know, man. It's, These guys, they yeah. don't exist in, in the reality that everybody else exists in. Yeah, they are fucking crazy. But uh, there's uh, the solution has always been obvious in the, when it comes to healthcare stuff. It's like either Congress get on the same kind of insurance plan as everybody else does, or the people or people get the same kind of ins medical insurance that Congress gets. Yeah, that should all be... It's kind of too easy to have it. Uh, I think, I mean, this is not something that he's the first one to say it, but Robert Subiaga, whom we had on the Drunken Taoist a couple of times, he had it as a status the other day, and I was like, yeah, that made perfect sense. You yeah, know, it's... somebody at one of those town hall meetings was like, what insurance do you have, Senator? Exactly. Because it's Why like, doesn't everybody get that? We're paying for it. Yeah. How dare you talk about other people, what they should do when you're clearly on a whole plan that's way 10 times better than anybody else. And I think you keep it for good. For life. If you serve one term. Yeah. That's fuck off. It's, you know, as crazy as everything is, and we won't go down this road at all, but it's a, I think it's a very serious awakening that seems to have opened eyes on both sides. Mm -hmm. They're like, wait a minute. These guys are bastards. So since we have, since we have, uh, we're all over the place today and jumping from things to things. Here is another one for you, and one that you are well familiar with is the world of Hollywood and movie making and everything else. It was interesting. I spent a day, maybe a month or two ago, hanging out in Hollywood in this sort of fancy, everybody in the movie business kind of gigs. And it was interesting because I could, if I stop and stay real quiet and play close attention, you could almost hear the sounds of dreams rising and crashing, kind of with the regularity of waves in the ocean. Oh, yeah. You could hear like, we are going to make the greatest move. Oh, cool. Oh, well, we're going to make it. It's funny. It's a strange word because, of course, everybody wants to be there. Because if you make it in Hollywood, man, you made it. Money, opportunity, fame. For a minute. The whole deal, right? And if you don't make it, which is 99.9% .9 of the people who are going to be in that world, yeah. it's all these opportunities just around the corner and we are going to make it and it's going to be awesome. And there's So it's a very interesting dynamic going on and the other one that i thought it was funny and i'm not a you know i hate it when you hear this like everybody really from christian fundamentalist to all sort of we're all like the evils of hollywood i'm like fuck off i enjoy hollywood movies more than any of your crap so just i'm perfectly happy with hollywood but of course there is some weirdness with hollywood and a lot of it of course among it i always find it hilarious the borderline sickening interactions that you see where everybody they meet each other and it's kind of like you know where monkeys like pick bugs from one another kind of thing to establish to bond in Hollywood is you meet each other and you can see the ego stroking taking place or like now is my turn you are the greatest actor in the world man I can't believe you haven't starred in 10 movies yet I'm only a great actor because of your words man yes. if, if you didn't weave those words together I never would be able to, 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 to act that way and you are the most brilliant agent the way you do it's funny man it's like aren't you guys that insecure that you need to do that every single time yes they are one lady that they introduced me to she went on about uh, for a couple of minutes at how great your work is and it was completely obvious that she had no idea who i was right and i'm just like dude you don't need to do that it, it doesn't have to be that way you can just meet me and be like hey nice to meet you you know you don't need to 
I had that happen a couple of times with Hollywood stuff, with another festival that will go unnamed. That's a big deal. That's going to be in L.A., where the dude talked to me forever about, oh, yeah, well, I'm so glad we can catch you on board on this. And he was obviously had no idea about what I do, which is fine. I'm not expecting you to, but don't bullshit me. There's no need for it. And and unfortunately, that is the game in Hollywood. It's all this uh, ego stroking 101. It's the rule of the game. It's funny to actually have the dream destroyed in front of you is a lot more fun than what normally happens is what I love to call the long no. I remember the long no. Yeah. It's, it's um, like, this is great. We're going to get started. Soon, soon. And it feels like everybody in the world is going to get up in the morning yeah. and start getting this thing going. And nobody does anything yep. at all. Precisely. And it drives me. And that's because people are wimps and they don't have the guts to tell you, no, I don't like this because of this and this reason. Wouldn't you prefer it? They, totally. And even if you can be nice about it, you don't need to be a dick, but you Look, can I mean, express Some interesting like, stuff you got yeah. there, but it's just not for us. Exactly. And you can explain why not for us. You know, the thing that's annoying is the not hearing why. Give me some feedback here. And again, the feedback may be weird. You know, the feedback... John Milius used to do this thing where he turns in entire Shakespeare plays to Hollywood executives. Uh, that's what we're going to do next. And they come back with 3,000 notes of this is bullshit. Who is writing this stuff? This is... Or other times when he would turn in a screenplay, they would come back with all these notes. He makes it look like he has done all the changes. He hasn't done a single one. He turns in the same screenplay and they go by like, oh, now it's amazing. Now it's finally singing. It's... So, yeah, it's a strange universe, but then every time I get sickened by those guys, then I look at the people criticizing them, and I'm like, okay, I like that word a ton better than... What what would you do without all the dreamers, man? It's just something... That's what's cool about here, man. There's so many people that come out... I mean, A, the top hot three girls from every county high school makes her way out here to fail at least for four or five years. So... (laughs) You know, the right. whole idea of an L.A. 10, you know. Yeah, it's a whole other gig. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. But it's like all these different, I mean, there's so many musicians, and we for sure have the best-looking wait staff in all of the planet. Oh, yeah, because, of course, everybody's an actor waiting to be discovered. But I if you're not going to take that the, shot, I mean, are you going to be happy back working no, at the, you I think know. it's a good shot. It's a good, ex- it's like I remember when I did the Caravaggio episodes for History on Fire, that's yeah. the same word, you know. Being in Rome back then was like being in Hollywood today. It was and the art to be sponsored and, uh, is to, to get a movie deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In any case, good stuff. Isabella moment. Let's go. I um came across slides that looks like nobody had seen in 46 years. It was my parents' wedding and me as a baby, a very brilliant, powerful-looking baby. Of course. Especially for a premature one. Shots from Vietnam. Also, just a crazy... It looked like ones that weren't the perfect ones and they had kind of been set aside. Mm-hmm. But, like, the main collection had been lost. Oh, so, so just the to only, have these, yeah, like the, like them and their the empty church getting married and all these 
And in this, there was a time-traveling Isabella peeking and saying hi on no, the no, side. No, no, very close. But having said that, it made me think of like different crazy times through the years, you oh, know, yeah, from being an infant. And there was once upon a time, um, I was in the toy aisle at the Montgomery Wards, probably fifth grade. And they had the new alien from the first movie, of the xenophobe. And like, oh, how very cool that was. Yeah. And I said, well, I'm just going to stay here and mess with this. You guys be on your way. And then when my parents came to find me, not only was I not in the Montgomery Wards anymore, I was way up the mall at the other toy store because I had taken it upon myself Ooh. to do some exploring. Ooh. So that story being mentioned, Isabella moment? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, that pissed me off. Like Isabella one day decided to disappear at school and just I couldn't find her anymore anywhere. Yeah, that was not my happiest moment ever. But it made me, of... it reminded me that I didn't realize I was doing anything wrong. I just thought I was sort of rolling with it. And yeah, I probably course, shouldn't let the are... store, but your brain doesn't really roll quite the same way. No, definitely. And, of course, and I can't imagine, you know, that was that was like 1980. If my mother had watched the 10,000 episodes of CSI and yeah. the, the 4 million murders that they see every week... What can you think but that the... <laughs> yeah, no, in fact, as a general rule, I think kids are... You'd need to watch them, you know, yeah. just where it's at. And, you know, it's... I don't know, it's weird. It's a strange topic, that one, because it's always... You want to give them space, but at the same time, you need to... Especially when they are... It's tricky. It's a difficult balance. But since well, that one is... Well, being guilty, I just... It reminded me. Yeah, yeah, of course. There are definitely the, two sides yeah, to it. Yeah, oh, totally, totally. And I get it. And, you know, you're a kid, you want to play, but... No, some of the good ones instead. Yes, not yes. The disturbing, scary one. One under the file moments that remind me that life is good. We've done this a few times. In the car with Isabella, we listen to Led Zeppelin's How Many More Times. And, you know, we hit that moment about a minute and a half to the end of the song when almost all of the instruments stop. And Robert Plant's voice start climbing and climbing and climbing higher and higher and higher. And we look at each other and we're like, ready? And she goes, yeah, yeah, ready. And then we crank up the volume as Plant's voice keeps climbing and we crank up more and more and all the instruments come back with a vengeance. With no, the power no. that just shakes the whole house and the car and the universe and, and then we're happy. And that's when you know that life is good in those moments. So how many more times, if you guys have never listened, fix that. It's it's a must, particularly in the game. A minute and a half or so to the end when there's that one moment, is just you need to crank up the volume because it's heart-shaking powerful. Awesome. And, um, and it's always nice to know that your seven-year-old daughter can appreciate some intense Led Zeppelin. That's always a must. You're not going to make it far in this world if you can. I agree. I agree. You need that. Absolutely. I'm not so sure I appreciate the second Isabella moment on this, that she, well, they, she, I'm hoping that she asked it as an hypothetical question, but I'm not entirely sure. She started negotiating with me of how much money she would owe me if she ever stabs me in the eye with a pen. And I was like, is this like part of a plan that you're dis deciding if it's worthy or not? Or? Eyes are expensive, my dear. Because I kind of like don't... both of my eyes. Yeah, yeah. And, they, they're pretty uh, awesome. And But I definitely decided I will never show her the movie Gross Point Blank. I don't remember if you ever saw it. Uh, I John remember Cusack John Cusack, and, yeah. Yeah, there's a scene where there's a peculiar use of a pencil or pen, pen of a pen. And that I think it's not what she needs to watch because... Uh, now you need to discourage that. That's a yeah. that's an area you don't want somebody to become 
No, that was interesting. I just can't see an eyeball without wanting to put a pencil up yeah, in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, no, you owe me a lot if you try that. So, <laughs> no, that's not, that's not happening. And um, I don't, I'm not sure if he was to get her back or what, but in a different occasion, uh, she was playing out in the living room. I was in the bathroom. And what she heard from me, my voice coming out, I was like, hey, Iz, I made a great poop. Want to come see? And she just promptly ran over took a peek in the toilet and goes, wow, that's a masterpiece. Good job. And she patted me and walked off. And so I, I needed that positive reinforcement. It was very sweet. That is sweet. Yeah. So those are uh, the good moments of the last month in uh, the life of Isabella. Well, it's story time again, everybody. But this week, in lieu of an actual story, a History on Fire tease for the future. Yeah, let's play with some of that. I'll give hints of various stories so you get more stories, none of them fully developed because I'll go into crazy details in History on Fire. But here is what's coming up. So it's this is... Uh, we are releasing this episode um, not too long, so... What I'm I'm still finishing up the Lakota versus United States story. There will be the third part of that uh, War for the Black Hills, Battle of the Little Bighorn Tale. Once I'm done with that, it's going to be time for a good Mr. Dan Carlin conversation. Sweet. Where we chat history and dance strange. That is such a funny guy. He's pretty conscious that he's a strange character and it's, it's hilarious in any case. I love his latest uh, feelings that maybe he might have caused everything to uh, to, to shake everything loose and, and go against the grain has caused our current situation. Right. Where if I, Yeah, that is funny. He's it's been like a bit nervous the, that he called for it and now that it's here, he's not so happy it's here. On the modern political stuff that is like, uh, yeah, I want a different, but I didn't mean this different. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> There's an interview of him. If, if you guys haven't seen it, there's um, Dan went on the, I don't know, that guy, Dave Rubin, something like that. Dave Rubin report. They are on YouTube. You can look it up. And Dan just breaks down his uh, views about life, politics, the world beautifully. I mean, it's just, I find myself agreeing with the last syllable he says there. It's just perfect. But other than Dan Worship moment, uh, what's coming up next, the one that took me probably seven months to research, it was brutal how long it took. Now I have 30,000 words of notes on this story. So that's a book right there. It's going to be a four-part series for History on Fire, and it's uh, the Spaniards invading the Aztec Empire in 1519. So the clash between Aztec and Spaniards. And man, this is a story where... If you're looking for a nice Disney story with <clears throat> good guys and bad guys, yeah, this is not it. No, it's bad guys against this bad is, guys. Yeah, at least the cultures. I mean, on an individual level, I'm sure there were some nice Aztecs or nice Spaniards, but on a cultural level, you're looking at two nasty cultures in a lot of ways. What kind know? of stretch of time? I mean, you have the arrival, but 1519 is when they arrive. War is wrapped up by 1521. That so quick. it's a basically two-year period were the whole and it's a wild tale with alliances with because the reality is in that war there will be 99 percent of the people fighting will be native on both sides yeah the spaniards will be at the head of one native group against 
the other native group, but it will be overwhelmingly the, it's an, to some degrees an internal affair that the Spaniards are able to tweak to their advantage in a very, you know, Cortes was smart. Say what you want about his morality, which is shady as hell, but as far as his He needed allies, he knew Montezuma was hated, so off it went. Yeah, and that whole tale, I mean, there are so many subplots in there. That's why it's going to be a four-part series, because it's, it's seriously epic. You know, it doesn't really get much more epic than that. How long till the uh, smallpox showed up? Is that almost immediate? Not immediate but quick within like before the end of the first year wow and that's when you know it wipes out half of your population which makes it a lot easier than to get conquered and even then not easy because it's a brutal tough there are multiple points in the story where the spaniards are this close to getting wiped out there's one instance where like two-thirds of them get wiped out by the aztecs where it looks like the gig, the gig is up you know and uh so it's it's really a wild tale in did Cortez get reinforcements along the yeah, way? Yeah, it does. Multiple okay. times. Because you always hear the stories like, 83 Spaniards went no, and no, took... No, no, no. no it's... Like, yeah, because you had every neighborhood that's been pissed off. Or... Yeah, first he had like 100,000 plus, possibly even more um, natives on his side. Plus he gets more Spaniards coming up as time goes by. So no, it, it will be... But it's a hell of a story, man. It's like the more I read it, the wilder it got. And because Is it I, true they rolled out a giant... Um, calendars of gold and silver yeah 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 there was one of the wheels where yes yeah 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 montezuma was not the smartest emperor ever that's for sure it's he (laughs) He was the wrong guy at the right moment yeah totally so there was that the the part that's interesting to me the story is like the lion king meets the godfather in pre-columbian mesoamerica it's Totally, I'll make man. Up this promise one day. <laughs> it starts out with uh, our key character name, just to make things easier for you, Nezahualcoyotl. That's a good which one. Which is always a good name. He's the will become known as the poet king of Texcoco. With the long ass name. And uh, with the long ass name. And his rival Tezozomo, who's the godfather of the Central Valley of Mexico. The whole story is wild. We start with, it's a stale, it's basically literally the Lion King where father, ruler father who gets killed, you have to run off and hang out with the furry creatures of the forest and eventually you come back for revenge. With a bunch of Spaniards with you. Yeah, in this case, no, it all happens before the Spaniards. Oh, it's okay. It's all a... It's a prequel. Exactly, it's a prequel to the whole tale. (laughs) So I'll probably put it up for sale right after the Dan Carlin thing and before I start the Spaniards. That's a hell. I, I was researching it. I'm like, I have to do this episode. I cannot let this one go. It's too good. Where does that story get written by? Is um, that ancient codices that somebody yeah. saved? Or? Yeah, some of the guys who were like after the collapse of the Aztec Empire, um, the Spaniards then start f- want to find out some things about the people, the society. So some of the people who by now speak Spanish but are indigenous. They will go around, collect stories, write down some of this stuff. So, of course, the accuracy is questionable. 
but uh, there's clearly seeds of truth in this story and then of course who knows about the details like almost always in history wasn't cortez's like historian that was sent along with him so disgusted by the atrocities that he stayed on only to record what terrible things they were doing this is um dude bartolomeo de las casas who's one of the priests will be first in the caribbeans then in mac he's not with the expedition mm. he's just one of the guys who write about you know he has a lot of experience being in both places eventually he writes about spanish uh, rule over indigenous people and yeah he's pretty pissed off but you know there are again conflicting theories about how correct he is all the time some stuff is clearly right some stuff is questionable but who knows but then the other one because this i finished the research right so this is all ready to be recorded the one that i'm dying to start researching because it's just too good is the story of jack johnson and i don't mean musician from today jack johnson i mean uh, first black heavyweight champion boxer oh yeah his tale is so good he's he's awesome because in 1905 1903 90 right around that time he's uh, a black dude who makes a living beating up white guys in the ring at the time of super white supremacy Far from being the apologetic, uh, I'll keep my head down guy, he's an in-your-face, I live life on my own terms kind of guy. So white supremacists hate his guts, which at that time is a lot of people. But at the same time, and this is what I find really funny about the story, he's not exactly on always the best terms with some parts of the black community either. Because... You know, the guys like Booker T. Washington expect him to be this role model showing that hardworking black people can succeed and they can be gentlemanly and all of that. And Jack Johnson is like, yeah, about that. You know, I really like drinking. I like hookers and I like fighting. So about I'm not going to live my life the way white people tell me to. I'm not going to live my life the way black people tell me to. I'm going to live my life whatever way I feel like doing. So how about you all get the hell out of my way and let me live how I want to live? That's a supreme teaser right there. Yeah, man. That's just a story that I, I've done enough research to know the more or less the in and outs. But then, of course, once I'll dig into more books, there will be more details will pop up. And I can't wait. When you come across like a, a pretty you know obvious event in his life, and you get all these different takes on it. Yeah. They must they must vary wildly. Yeah, of course. And sometimes, in fact, what I have to do is tell. This in cases person says this. Not, this exactly. person says that. In some cases, is this is one version of the story. This is another one. You take. I like this one better because it makes a cooler story. But I don't know if it's true. <laughs> in other cases, you can kind of get that one is maybe wrong, and you're like, you know, this guy says this, but it is why I don't think it's a reliable story. And you can mend. So it varies. You know, in some cases, I can hammer out the details where some cl some sources clearly lacking credibility or internal logic to their argument. In other cases, you just throw your hands up and say, "Look, these are the various versions of the tale, and we don't know which one is correct." Well, luckily, I've developed a time traveling drone, so we can just send it back to that time, and film find it, out what yeah, happened, just hide in the corner. There are even films of uh, Jack Johnson fighting. There are some of the first uh, you know, boxing footage that you find from those early days. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's interesting, too, because it's a completely different kind of boxing. Like, I'm sure there's no Floyd Mayweather hide and weave. He played the hide game in a completely different way, not in the mobile Mayweather kind of game. Back then, they let you stay in the clinch 
forever pretty much really? they let you clinch a really long time so jack johnson game was get the clinch control the guy's arm move outside hit him control his arms again hit him control it's like he was playing a game of i don't want to get hit and i'll hit you through clinch control wow and, and there's one instance that i'll throw this last thing i'll throw out uh, there for this but he's so mad of this one white boxer who has been avoiding him all the time and denying him chances at the title and all of this that he start clearly demolishing him early on in the fight and every time the dude is about to fall Jack Johnson catches him and hold him in the clinch for a while because he's like, no, 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 I'm not done with you. <laughs> this is gonna go on for a few more rounds because this is it doesn't end that easy. And so he just keep hammering on him for round after round because he's like, nope, I'm not giving you an early exit on this one. You've paid for this one, friend. You're getting every bit of it. Yeah, I've been frustrated for the last multiple years with you talking shit about me and avoiding me, and it's payback time now. So there you go, the tasty preview of History on Fire, which is great, by the way. Everybody check it out. A lot of people are. You got to feel happy about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm super happy with History on Fire. It's a shitload of work, but I'm happy with the result. Has there been any that they created the most controversy yet? No, I think it's... There will be stuff where I get into more modern times, where sometimes I'm like, Jesus, do I really want to do that to myself? But there are some stories that... The one that I eventually want to touch that I already, I'm ready to get hated from multiple sides. He's a story of uh, U.S. intervention in El Salvador. And um, that's so like 86, 84, sort of. Yeah, even earlier. And actually, you can even go even earlier. That's why I want to make it earlier, because I don't want it just to be a Reagan was an asshole kind of story, even though, yes, that's definitely part of it. But also Carter was an asshole. So I don't want it to be purely a Republican Dix kind of thing. It's also Democrats weren't really any better. When you look at like the the way Carter would bark loudly about human rights abuses and then do nothing about it and turn the other way, that's not exactly speaking wonders about, oh, instead the Democrats were doing such a good job with this. Well, my job was to point a shiny light yeah. upon the indiscretions and so then, that others could take care and, and bring it. I'm yeah, a busy was, man as the president. I got to be golfing by Friday. That was the Carter thing. He's like, I'll bark at how you guys need to clean up your human rights record. Governor of El Salvador, the government would say, fuck you, we're not doing that. Then I'll go and to Carter Honduras. would say, Okay, so I still owe you some millions of dollars in military aid, so here you go. It's like you can't bark if you're not going to bite. You know, you can't threaten them. You need to do it or else. No, we won't do it. Okay, then business as usual, because then you're just as guilty. I mean, the difference is the Reagan kind of guys, they weren't even trying to bark. To them, it was like, ah, so what? We'll support some fascist regime to fight leftists. That's all good. Carter was doing the same thing, just whining about it. You know, it's not that he was, uh, he was more conflicted about it, but the end result wasn't any different. So that's at least, why... At least Jimmy Carter wanted us to learn the metric system. No, no, and don't get me wrong, you know, yeah, you know, solar power and the White House. It's not, I'm not making an argument about no, Carter no. or Reagan as presidents as a whole. I'm talking about the El Salvador story, is a yeah, story yeah. where both sides, Democrats and Republicans, are awful. So, but then again, that's is nobody gets pissed off if I'm talking about ancient Rome or something like that. When you go into more modern things, I'm getting the feeling that a few people may get edgy. 
So I'm postponing this until I'm like, ah, oh, do I want to do that to myself? Until eventually I will pull the trigger and go for it. But yeah, that's what's coming up. Well, there you have it. All right, everybody, time to reach deep into the digital mailbag and pull out the queries that have been sent our way, stacks and stacks of them, to a point where it's starting to get kind of dangerous to be around the mailbag because you could be squashed. But he's safely reached inside. There's something coming out. I, I see now that there's a paper in his hand. Let's run with it. Mr. Chris, I can't pronounce your last name, but I'm going to guess Loteman. Loteman. I'm sorry, man. Chris. Let's keep it. Chris away. L. Yeah. Again, I keep arguing my point that we need to go back to Indian names. In my latest History on Fire, there was a glorious name of somebody named Finds Them and Kills Them. Ooh, that's way better than two dogs fucking. I'll remember, I'll remember your name. You know what I mean? It's like, what's your name? Oh, it's Finds Them and Kill Them, of course. You know, it's like, I'm never going to forget that name, and it's easy to uh, express, so... I find, uh, you know, it's kind of like the other day at school, at Isabella school, they were trying to pronounce Bolelli and it was painful, but I understand it doesn't mean shit. There's no image, there's no story. So I get it. So that's my lame ass excuse for not being able to pronounce names. But in any case, we'll remember them. That's a fun name to say, though. It kind of makes you feel better. Yeah. Bolelli. Yeah. Especially if you right. put your fellow Guido Sarducci on it to have a little extra fun. You can, uh, Dr. Bolelli would like some of the lasagna, please. Right. That's, that's, uh, it should be a new mantra for improving your mood. You go, Bolelli, Bolelli, Oh, that would be a Bolelli. great model. Bolelli. Right. Now I want marinara sauce. Yep. That's exactly what happens. I, I found I found an Italian restaurant in Oxnard. It's been open since 1946. Mm -hmm. So I want it put to the Bellelli Challenge. Let's let's go and do it's that. That's really sort of a no lose proposition. Yeah. The worst yeah. case would be like, wow, that was terrible. I'm full. Yeah. Yeah. It's all good. <laughs> you can. Even though I've been in places where they can screw up pasta, which is amazing because it's like, how do you screw up pasta? But no, these cats are rolling it that day, that, you know, perfectly al dente. Okay. And, and it made me rethink. I make a pretty nice marinara sauce, but it's more sort of garden veggie and delicious. And this was more like basil infused into this perfectly awesome. rendered. You should actually, I'm getting, we're getting close to lunchtime and I'm getting hungry, so let's not go there. All right, Chris L., what's Chris, going on with him? Um... He said maybe it was prompted by the Meryl Streep speech at the Golden Globes. But <laughs> what wasn't? Uh, well, there was. Um, he's asking for people. How do you communicate to people the quote unquote aesthetic beauty of uh, fighting, of jujitsu, of MMA? Of, because he said, I can't see how somebody will look at it and just see brutality. He or said, that looks pretty gay. Right, that too. So he said, before I trained, all I saw was I didn't see any creativity in it or art. And, and I still find it difficult to explain in words to people who may be interested, who may be open to that conversation. But how, it seemed like one of the things that until you train it, it's hard to see it. Once you train it, it's like you're schooled in that vocabulary, so to speak. And you do see like, oh, man, that was awesome. The way that person moved is amazing. Or That's he missed like, that hole there. Yeah. These little things. Totally. How do you do it? And I mean, even he brings up the 
Savannah, Savannah's first fight example. There is a weird, uh, uh, there is a weird dynamic in this because what you have is, like, I watched Savannah's first fight, and there's one moment there where you go, "Damn, that was amazing!" Right? You see the perfect punch that just cannot get any better. That's highlight reel stuff. Anybody can understand that. Yes. And at the same time, you also look at the other side of the equation and you see some poor girl laying on the floor unconscious for multiple seconds. She's like, dead. Yeah, where you go like, oh, uh, that's a weird price to pay for. So I do get it. I mean, I understand. It is, uh, how Mike Tyson would put it, the hurt business. You know, it is, uh, it is a tough gig. And I do think that some of it is almost inevitably difficult to express the art part of it to somebody who doesn't train because it's sort of like how do you how do you have somebody read a book and find the art in it if they don't know how to read you know you need to have that basic vocabulary and unfortunately it's easier okay this is how it works it's a lot easier to do when you have somebody who's really good and somebody who isn't because in a fight between somebody who's really good and somebody who isn't, the person who's really good is going to just pull highlight reel after another. Perfect throw, beautiful. Everything is going to look movie-like where it's amazing, right? Where you see the skill that just like, wow, how does this person do that? That's why I like, for example, Pride back in the day. They had mismatches all the time, which are not the best thing in the world in the terms of fairness in sport, but they were super fascinating to look what the art looked like when you have a super high skilled guy against somebody who's not as high skilled. A lot of the problem with the even matches is that you neutralize each other. Yes. And then you don't see the spectacular big move. You tend to see a lot of, oh, he did this, but the other guy counter and you did it. And that you need to have a trained eye to see these tiny minute adjustments that give you a little edge. The big move, you don't need a trained eye. You can see it from outside and go, wow, that's I can you believe how he lifted him right over his head and threw him across? That was cool. But again, you don't often when you have two evenly matched fighters, you don't see it. You see minute things that don't look as cool to the untrained eye. So I do think I, there's an issue with that. I don't know how you explain it to other people, but yeah. it's just like when soccer started turning on here, mm-hmm. people would see a nil-nil game and be like, oh, for Christ's sake. Yeah. Like, first of all, it is just 90 minutes. It's constant. And the people with the trained eye will be like, yeah, but there were six times where they stopped mm-hmm. that breakaway or these guys are, you know, it's not just the goalie stopping the ball all the time. Sometimes it's getting the right players down the field to interrupt what they're trying to attempt. Yeah. So I think it's almost the same thing. I don't know how... To the untrained eye, you're going to have to sell them on the spectacular parts of it. Yeah. Oh, look at these incredible moves. Because those of us that aren't in the know don't know. Yeah. We're not seeing that. We're not seeing how, wow, did he, he got that arm free somehow. And That's why I think he's almost, you're better off showing demonstrations of something where it's all flashier and more obvious yeah. or the big mismatch. Like you do it after a fight has taken place where you pick the highlight reel. It's kind of like... The movie director, Werner Herzog, used to say that uh, he would watch soccer, the highlights on TV, and he thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And then he went to watch his first game and he was bored to death because, you know, the what he would see in five minutes, that was awesome. When yeah. you stretch it over 90, he was like, okay, that takes a different kind of... Now, eventually, you know, you get used to it, it maybe, but it's not the thing that you grab people with. 
you cannot grad. We have uh, an attention span that's not just because of modernity, but generally speaking, people want to get like, okay, show me the good stuff. Okay, I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting. Wait another half hour and the good stuff will happen. It's like, yeah, that's that few people have that kind of attention. So highlights tend to do it. In highlights, you do see, wow, that was an amazing way to move the human body. That was an amazing way to get out of the way of the incoming attack. That Look was, at all them teeth flying out. Yeah, there's there's that, right? <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I don't think you can start watching just any match and think they are going to see some great beauty in that. That's not necessarily the way it works. No, and it's a hard, I think it's a hard sell, especially. Didn't he say he's trying to get his mom to be more into it? That's, uh, yeah, you're going to have to be, be gentle with it. Show her some, some good highlights and... You know, she might not be a fan, but she might sit and watch a couple of rounds with you. Yep, that's the gig. Now, question number two. Yes. And um, from Daniel. I'm semi-familiar with that name. Same so spelling? Can, uh, well, no. Stop with, have the without the E at the end. But he, it's a long, well-thought email. But basically, if I am to summarize it, he's saying he's a little puzzled by what seemed to be the romanticity Roman, how do you say Ro people romanticizing that like kind of like having this oh it's this sort of new agey spiritual experience where you just transition on to the great beyond and it's all kind of colors and beauty and you kind of move on does he have somebody next, reporting back yeah you move on to the next plane and it's all like this almost meditative thing and he's saying that i don't know about mm, other people but he described the experience of seeing his mom die at an early age. And he said, yeah, that was not pretty or meditative or peaceful. It was ugly and painful and nasty, you know, really harsh stuff that scars you to even witness. So what's the deal here? Is like, is that the exception or are these people deluding themselves in making it like imagining what their death would be like because they haven't seen enough or what's going on here? And I mean, of course, there are 10,000 death experiences. No two are going to be alike. And of course, it's, it depends so dramatically. So I think there's the field there is wide open. There are many possibilities. But I do tend to think that that description in the super romanticized terms is a bit idealistic, as a lot of New Age stuff is. The reality of things is that in many cases, it will be very ugly. In some cases, it may not be ugly. In some cases, there are, but it's not that Hollywood fantasy of what it looks like either, you know? And it's fine. It doesn't have to be that way. But it's kind of like people who think that in martial arts, that the stuff that they see in the movies is the real deal. Well, it's not that you can't do some amazing things, but it's definitely not going to look like that. <laughs> You are, you know, you are mistaking a romanticized image for reality and the two things don't always match. Doesn't have to mean it's always like the nasty, horrible stuff, even though that's real. But it clearly is not going to be that simple. That's at least my take on it. What's your take? I think the whole unknowing creates a lot of nervousness for sure. Mm -hmm. And, you know... Either way, it's going to be some sort of amazing transformation, and those don't ever tend to come easily in any capacity. Sure. So, you know, pop, pop with everybody in his family surrounding him, slipping off into the night. Even things like that aren't great. 
because generally that may be the way it's remembered, but the 48 hours everybody stood by the bed as he drifted on the edge of death. Right. Maybe not even in pain, just struggling. <gasps> and then he goes again for yeah. another hour. Yeah, you know, yeah. Those, that's an anguish uh, of its own. It's incredible. I mean, it's one thing to get yourself smashed between two trucks on the 405. That's an uglier death. Yeah. But that's done. Quick. I love the ones, those are the lucky bastards when you read like the Tilda Roosevelt kind of death, where he's like, he goes to sleep, I'm really tired tonight. He goes to sleep, yeah. heart stops, done. It's like, okay, that doesn't sound so bad. That's as far as that's go. A little harder on everybody else that doesn't get to say goodbye. Ah, whatever. But the goodbye quick out, there's a lot to be said for it. Yeah, yeah. totally. It's like... So, the, the, the idea of the long, tortured, painful... Yeah. See, that's where our society has to catch up. If these people are in terrible pain, let them go. Yeah, sure. But you even know? then, even let them go is not necessarily easy, even from a medical standpoint. Well, none it's of it's easy that, at know, that point. It's easier, but not easy, for sure. Yeah, and plus it has that whole implication, you know, life is a gift, and what are you doing? Yeah, there's there's religious implications that make people crazy, that, oh, I have to stay here and suffer every second that the Lord intended me to. No, fuck that. It's like anybody... Nobody else should have a voice other than the person dealing with it. Across you know? the board, like, until you interfere with somebody else's problem. Exactly. I think we're turning to libertarians a little bit. Well, when it comes to social issues, sure. Yeah. You know, when it comes to social issues, I'm 100% in the camp of saying uh, individuals should be free to do whatever the hell they want. Go right ahead, my friend. Step on somebody else's. Until they're jumping over the 101 with their motorcycle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you got... You do, you do. You should be free to do whatever you want, as long as you are not squashing somebody else's freedom. Yep. You know that's where it's at. But so on that stuff, yeah, one hundred percent libertarians and socialists. So as I mentioned before, I'm not when it comes to economic policies, because I don't see that always working out well, and I do see way too often how it turns out. Now, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean a doesn't make me a fan of big government because I think that's another disease. But it's kind of like which one do you wanna? Different models, they all suck. I don't find a good model when it comes to those things. It's just which one sucks the least. So that's where, to me, is like eliminating all environmental regulations is not is not going to lead to a good environmental scenario where all become enlightened and you pick the companies that are environment. That's that's no, a fantasy. Of it's the never going to turn out. I don't that see way. it that way. But again, I'm happy if I'm proven wrong. I'm not saying I just don't see it. You know. But in any case, so I guess we'll keep. There's more digital mailbag it will happen not now all right this is the outro outro all right. Well, the funky music means one thing. That's the end of another fine episode of the Drunken Taos podcast. I, I thought that was a, a, a cavalcade of uh, entertainment, if you ask me. We pissed all kinds of people off. Yes, and you found out that there is some awesome porn contained in the Bible, so that's yeah. always good to know. I'm going to keep that in my hip pocket for, for future... Or, or the VeggieTale versions of it. It's going to be No, awesome. I mean, there are some great pickup lines in there right there. Your, <laughs> hey, your breasts are like twin phones of gazelle feeding among the lilies. I am a pillar exiting the smoke-filled forest of your loins. 
Yeah, you, you should try that. Seriously, uh, try the try the gazelle breast one in a bar. And see, see how that's that more that out. crisper editing of the DNA. The furry boobs? I don't know. That might have been good in a... No, you're spoiling it. You're giving me a... I had this image of something perky and standing up, and you're just going into four. That's weird. <laughs> I don't want a little thing braying at me. I've nibbled it. Anyway. No, no, no. That's okay. not where I'm going with that. What's left? What's left? Please use a Amazon link. It helps a lot. It doesn't cost you an extra dime we love you please do it um what else that's usara onnichor design you know the drill please check out their website see if anything they have would interest you i bet you will find something because they do have a lot of great stuff in there fresh uh fresh album from our friends at daisy house thank you a ton to those guys for letting us use our iconic music that we got to use all the time you that can go find this gift. record at bandcamp slash daisyhouse.com and go ahead and buy a copy it'll Beautiful. be okay t-shirts i still have some um i haven't ordered any because you know any everything that happened with our good pal bennett dine which was the worst bummer of the year man i miss that guy i love bennett but so but i still have short design t-shirts from back in the day and uh Check them out. I actually think I will be getting some new ones. So we should be fairly well stocked. We have our four designs, the Nietzsche shirt. There's our original logo shirt, Dionysian Parade. Check them all out. Good stuff. Um, what else? If you are in the business of eating chocolate, check out Curacao Chocolate. There's a link in the episode notes. I'm going to shut up. Yeah, that's plenty. We haven't talked about them yet. They don't deserve it. If we haven't spoken about it yet, they don't. <laughs> Go Have on, a good man. week, everybody. Yep. And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as soon as they come out. You can keep track of Daniel at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at richimon1. That's R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, the numeral one. See y'all soon. In questo caso, in questo caso, le provvidenze di Dio. Duncan showed you the way, eh? Oh man, isn't that scary the thing? Nice. So don't kill people, do that instead. <laughs> this was great. Fucking awesome. And I love this conversation. I have nothing against chicken other than the fact that they are ugly and weird and strange. We've been yeah, having a great hour nice. here. Completely got lost. Are we doing the outro or the intro? We're outro. Oh, we're out. Okay, sorry. So that's so. Let's continue. Did you ever see the movie Tombstone with uh, Val Kilmer and uh, uh, your accent? It just whatever that movie is you were trying to tell. Can me you about, translate for me, please? I believe the word was tombstone. Yeah, that one exactly. <laughs>
just as I was saying, you know, tombstone. <laughs> what do I have to do? One day the rod shall teach you. Get back to work.